morning, everybody. It's uh, good to have you in church this morning, and uh, you're very welcome. I'm glad you made it and that those, uh, well, I don't know if anybody has missed the deadline because they didn't change their clock, but I hope you've changed all your clocks and that we're, you can see that even Adelaide Road has got its clock up to date, which is quite impressive uh, for us as well. So you're, you're very welcome. Um, and as you know, I've been reading through the Psalms and I've come to Psalm 150 uh, today. And uh, it's a fantastic Psalm. It's the last of the Hallelujah Psalms, so that's why they all start with praise the Lord, which means hallelujah. And uh, really, I'm just going to read it to you. Um, and the very uh, last line says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And that should be has breath, praise the Lord. So let's just uh, hear this as we begin to worship. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. And they were thinking of the temple, but for you who know Christ, that is in your own hearts. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Please praise him with resounding symbols. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's stand to worship him this morning. Above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Well, let's talk to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, they are just beautiful words, aren't they, that we've been singing above all powers. Yet you took the fall and thought of me above all. Father, we just rejoice this morning to be able to come and sing uh, your praise, to uh, praise the Lord, as it were, to uh, give our hallelujahs to you because of all that you have done for us. And as we saw last week in Isaiah 6, you are an awesome God. And that, Father, that you are above us, you are beyond us, uh, you are more powerful than us, uh, you are holy and pure. And, Father, the, the seraphs were not even able to look at you, and they covered their eyes, calling, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And yet, you humbled yourself, and you became a man. And Father, you were born of a virgin. You were born into a dry and arid place called Nazareth. And you were born, as it were, to suffer and to die, as we will see in our talk later on. And Father, we pray that we might not lose sight of the reality that that was for us. It was because of the great need that we had of the sins that we commit of the attitudes that we have, of the anger that's in our hearts, of the, yeah, just of the, the lack of concern for others. And, Father, for how we are so incredibly selfish, and, Father, we could list all those sins. We just know that when we look in our hearts that we deeply need more and more of you. And we thank you that in Christ that we are forgiven, that our sins are forgiven, that our sin is atoned for that our guilt is gone. And Father, we just simply say thank you. We praise you for that reality. And Father, I pray that as we accept that, that we will uh, learn to live in the light of that, that we will learn to live in the joy of that, that we will learn to live with the success of that, knowing that we're not condemned, even though we feel that condemnation 
because we apply the gospel, knowing that we are not without hope because one day we will see you face to face and we will be as we were meant to be, without sin and in perfect relationship with you and with each other. And Father, forgive us that we so often just live in the mud and that our eyes are downward looking and that we do not look up enough and that we do not grasp the reality of what we are in Christ Jesus. So, Father, it's been good just to concentrate on the cross, and we thank you for all that it's achieved. And we pray that as we know that truth, that we will be able to live positively in the light of it. So be with us, we pray, in all that we do, and we pray that it might honor and glorify you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask Katie to come and explain how we're going to do our reading. Good morning. Uh, if you want to turn in your pew Bibles to page 740. This morning, our reading comes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, uh, through chapter 53. Um, and we haven't actually practiced this. Um, so the Bible is made up of a lot of different types of literature, uh, narrative and parables, wisdom literature, and poetry. This morning, we're reading um, a beautiful song uh, from Isaiah. And so... Uh, it is constructed in what is called a chiasm. Um, I like to think of it like a sandwich. A sandwich, you wouldn't order it as a sourdough or a cheddar and relish, you would order it as a ham sandwich. What's in the middle is how we define the passage. It's what's most important. It draws focus. And so uh, this morning, we're going to read from the outside in. Uh, and so that's why we're warning you. We're not going to read from verse 13 through we're actually going to read the first stanza and then the last stanza, the second stanza and then the fourth stanza, and then end with the third stanza. Um, so if that is confusing to you, I would recommend just listening and maybe not trying to follow along in the passage. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted just as there were many who were appealed at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they, they were not told, they'll see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Who have, has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so did he not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, 
smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Now, as unusual as it seems from me, um, I'm going to interview people. How unusual is that? So I've invited some mothers to come up here. Would you like to come up now? In the past, we have looked at mothers of the Bible on Mother's Day. And, uh, um, and that's been a wonderful theme. And we have, we have women of faith uh, as wonderful examples uh, for, for our lives. And, you know, we have women of faith as wonderful examples for our lives right here in our church. And I thought it'd be a, a lovely way to have, uh, uh, for this Mother's Day, to really connect with our mothers here. Uh, so I want to thank... Uh, Martha and Carol and Claudia and Lorraine and Sue and Karen uh, for coming up. Um, and uh, so now we're going to spend a few minutes hearing from them. So I have a microphone. Um, Karen, let me put this here. Let me put this here. Okay. So the, the first question is can you share one of your hopes of your child? And if you have multiple children, you can choose a specific child and talk about, uh, talk about that child. Or uh, if you have multiple children, you want to talk in general, that's fine too. So does anyone like to share? Um, I think for me, I would, the main hope that I have for both my boys is that they'd grow up completely accepting themselves as who they are and knowing um, that God accepts them for who they are and they don't need to worry about um, individual traits or anything like that, but that they would be very happy with who they are as people. Would anyone else like to share on that one? Okay. Um, I suppose one of my big hopes for Allegra is that she'd um, make the world a better place. And that doesn't mean that she has to be president or anything like that, but just that she'd be a positive influence on the people around her. So the most proud I think I've probably ever been of what I've heard about how she does at school is when I was told that she's very kind to her classmates. Okay. Anyone else like to share on that one? I think one of uh, my hopes was when we lived in Africa, our, ten were, our children, our three were 10, 12, and 14, and they had to go to boarding school. Schools had changed a lot. And so that was really a hard time. I was depressed for a weekend, which sounds easy, but it was, it was hard to be having your children go away from you. But my biggest hope was that when they separated from us, that they would know we loved them. And it wasn't punishment. And because we were missionaries, that they would not look upon God as someone who tears families apart. So that really happened. The Lord was gracious in that. Um, my hope for Ethan would be that uh, he knows that he's loved and that um, there's a bright future there and there's um, a lovely light road ahead and a lovely journey of exploration ahead of you. Thank you. Our next question is, uh, was there anything specific that you worried about as a new mother? Because I, I know you're, you're, you're not new mothers now, but w was there anything that when you were, when you were expecting or when, or when baby arrived that, that was really uh, something of, of, on, on your heart? 
Um, well, he never came with instructions. I looked hard, but he <laughs> didn't come with instructions. And um, it's just the most wonderful, awesome feeling of receiving this amazing gift of um, a newborn baby and always remembering. Um, I always remembered that Ethan came through me and not from me, that he was from God. So that was beautiful. Um, I actually really worried about their health when they were younger. Not so much that they would be sick, but when they were sick, should I bring them to the doctor? Should I let them stay for another day? Um, should I bring them to the hospital? Um, I did find that a bit worrying now. Um, and there was one night, I think we did head off in the middle of the night with, uh, with Aaron to the hospital. But we were sent back home again, so that was good. <laughs> um, for me, um, when they were born, how could I make it? How could I care? And, uh, but God helped me all the time. It's wonderful. They are, they are well. <laughs> I suppose it doesn't matter what age they are, you always have fears for them. I think as a mother, it's an innate feeling that uh, you always want them to be safe and to know that they're loved and uh, no matter what they're going through, that they can share it with you. And I think communication um, and just keeping the lines open and... Um, you know, I think particularly in the teenage years when they uh, think they know everything and find themselves and they can go away from you in many ways um, can be a difficult time. Uh, but just to keep being there for them, um, because really that's when they need you most, um, because the world has a lot of pressures. And I think uh, even more no so now with um, uh, Internet and, um, the, you know, it is they need to know that, as Carl said in the beginning, that their love for who they are. And uh, I think it's important just to keep the communication. <coughs> okay, can you share what you hoped for for your child's faith? So, um, yeah. <laughs> I suppose as a, a mother whose children are brought up in the months, um, that faith isn't a, a religion, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ who loves them. It's uh, personal. Um, you can only share it with them. Uh, you have to let them go and allow them to explore the things of the world. And that's not easy because you feel that God's way is the best way. But you have to give them the freedom to be who they are and to make their mistakes and just keep loving them. Uh, but ultimately, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He has called us from um, sin into a relationship through his son and his desire is that we become more like Christ. And that is a daily uh, thing for each one of us in our lives as we come to know Christ, um, but also for our children, that we model it for them, that we are quick to forgive each other. Um, and um, they just, through knowing God, through his word, that they, they can stand on his promises. And as you go through difficult times and you... Uh, go to his promises that that's what you stand on and you can see that he's been faithful and just sharing that is, and letting them see that your your faith is real is important I think I would share grand being a grandmother's the best part <laughs> the, because the first time I was a mother at 22 24 and 26 what did I know all I know knew was survival and and learn that it won't last forever, that you have a little baby all the time. But being a grandmother, it's God's grace and mercy. I get to do it all over again with my grandchildren. And they're so much easier because I'm older and I think a little wiser. I've learned a lot. Uh, but it's that constant thread of training and training and trusting in the Lord and loving them for who they are, as it was said. But being a grandmother, I, I recommend it to everyone. I would, I would have started with it. It's just so much easier. <laughs> you learn a lot. But God's forgiving for us as well as he is for our children. Well, uh, we always hoped for Allegra that she would um, ask Jesus to be in charge of her life. And she did that when she was very little. Um, and so I think now our, our hope for her and her faith is that she'll be able to keep going and keep 
letting Jesus be um, in charge of her life, even when other people around her don't share that value, and it's not always easy. Um, so just that she keep growing in her faith. They walk with Lord every day and love the scriptures. Is there a specific positive memory of your own mother you would like to share? Uh, when I was in fourth class, we started doing long division in maths, and I didn't get it, and I didn't get it for a very, very long time, and I used to have uh, long division homework. Uh, it seemed to go on for years and years and years, and I still didn't get it, and I think I was in sixth class when it finally made sense to me, and I remember my mum just kept helping me with my homework and she was really patient and she didn't make me feel like I was stupid because I didn't understand it. She just kept explaining it and kept explaining it and tried a different way and eventually one day it made sense. And I don't know if she did anything different. It wasn't some like amazing new technique or anything, but suddenly it made sense. And I think about that a lot, um, both as a teacher and as a parent, because there are some things that I'm trying to explain, and I think they're easy. And the person I'm trying to explain them to just doesn't get them at all. And I don't understand why, because it should be easy. And why aren't they getting it? And then I think, oh, this is like long division. And it helps me to be more compassionate and think, well, OK, it's easy for me to figure out how to do a bibliography. But, and I don't understand why my students don't understand it, but then my teachers and my mum probably thought, why doesn't she get long division? It's so easy. So I think it really helps me to remember that uh, we just need to be patient um, and accept that different things are hard for different people and different things are easy for different people. And my final, my, my final question is, do you have a favorite scripture verse or hymn that speaks to you as a mother? Can I just go back to the other question for a moment? Yes. About can you share what you hoped for your child's faith? Yes. And um, we both have that book, Jesus is Calling. And um, this morning's verse was about peace, about God's peace. And I would hope that Ethan will grow with that in his life and always have that peace in his heart so that he can face the world from that peace and strength that God gives, no matter what the journey brings, that he'll have that peace in his heart. And sometimes you put down the book and you forget about it because when you're a teenager, life is busy and it's exciting and there's lots of things that can be put in front of you. But the book is always there. You can always pick it up. You can always take to it no matter what and it'll welcome you. So um, the other question then is, do you have a favorite scripture? So this one I'd like, or this is my favourite, which was passed to me. Um, it's Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Even just to remember those four lines, it'll always carry you through. Yeah, and I think carrying on from what um, Martha said there about God being our help is that he's, he's always with us. Um, and a verse that, uh, you know, is, is very special to me just as a Christian, but also as a parent, is that uh, God is with me always. I am with you always, no matter what we're going through. And life as a parent isn't always easy. There are, there are rough times as well as the smooth, but we know that God is with us through it, which is very encouraging. For me, it's um, Proverbs <laughs> 22, verse 6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, 
he will not turn from it. Um, a verse that's very special to me is from Psalm 139. Uh, this is verse 16 from the International Children's Bible. All the days planned for me were written in your book before I was one day old. So that's um, very helpful to me personally, but also as a parent, to know that God is in charge of my life and Richard's life and Allegra's life, and I can trust him to take care of us. I think for me, again, it's Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And you can't train someone if you don't know it. So it, it was always coming back to me that I need to know what I need to train. And you uh, expect what you, you inspect. So it's, it's a double-edged sword. And I, that was something that I didn't learn at home as a child. So I was learning for the first time to train up a child, which means it takes time to be there. And that's something I'm helping with my uh, in-law, daughter and uh, daughters and daughter, is you have to be at home and with the children. And my son and son-in-laws, you need to be there as well and help each other to help those children, which is why Norm and I are so passionate about uh, uh, the family marriage, because we've been teaching family marriage and parenting for a long time, and it does work. It starts at home with the parents than the children. And I think my favorite hymn would be, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Those hymns like that are so important. God is faithful when we fall and make mistakes. And we as parents will always fall and make mistakes and let our children see that. But how do we get up and come back to be the person God wants us to be through forgiveness and love? When the boys were always fighting, I used to say to them, do you unto others as you do. And, you know, we say it very easily, and it was brought home again as we had mother and toddler uh, this week, and two little boys were going, well, one little boy was playing happily, and another little boy just came in the top and snatched the toy away. And Katie was watching over and came very graciously and spoke to them and said, Tommy, the toy's not important, the relationship is. And I think that is a key for all of us, is that the things that we might want, the goals that we score, the jobs that we want, the positions, are all very immaterial unless the relationships are there. And we all want to be treated with acceptance and kindness. Uh, that's what I wanted my boys to do. They're all very different. I wanted them to accept one another uh, and to treat each other with respect. And um, so that's, that's what I would desire. Well, thank you, thank you all. Thank, you, thank the panel. Um, as, as you go to your seats, there's something that. Um, sorry, I'm taking so long, Sam. Uh, there's something that I'm quite moved about in Jewish Orthodox homes on Friday nights. Um, fathers will read a scriptural verse to their wives um, every Friday night. And uh, we've, we've done it maybe twice or something, but it, it's something that, uh, that I think about it. It's from Proverbs 31, uh, the epilogue of the wife of noble character. Now, there's quite a few elements of the wife of noble character that are um, very, very Old Testament, and, uh, um, but, but there's so much that can speak to, speak to the, the, the women of our lives. So I want to read it to you as a prayer um, prayer to you. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. 
She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes a seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Amen. Well, great stuff. Thank you. Um, that was very encouraging. I hope you found it encouraging. It was lovely to hear the testimony of uh, the sample of our mothers there, and uh, we praise God for them, and it's a real legacy. I was just thinking of Second uh, Timothy, isn't it, where, where Timothy, Paul says to Timothy that the faith that first lived in your grandmother, uh, Lois, I think, and then your, uh, your mother, Eunice, um, and now lives in you, and that is our hope and our prayer for all of our children. Um, and we can be their parents, of course, in this church, uh, whether they're our children or not. So you're very welcome to the service this morning. Uh, if you have your order of service there, um, if you're visiting with us, I don't know if anyone's visiting for the first time, you're very welcome. It's lovely to have you. Who, who is this? My parents. Your parents. You're very welcome. Lovely to have you. Uh, we'll give you a round of applause, I think. Yeah. I hope you're not you're enjoying the weather. Yeah. It's been good, hasn't it? Similar to Brazil. All right, yeah. Very good. Excellent. And uh, good to have people back with us. Good to have David and Sarah back there. They thought they were going to get away without being mentioned, but no. It is a pity about the result, David, wasn't it? There we go. All us Ulster boys are kind of sad in the heart, but there we go. Uh, congratulations to Leinster, I should say. I'm sure there are Leinster people here. Um, so that's great. Um, if you have that, yes. So next week we'll continue looking at um, our, our um, series on the cross, and we're going to look particularly uh, at why Jesus suffered. We sometimes just focus on the physical suffering, uh, but we'll be looking much deeper at that uh, next week, and that is the third chapter in the book. There are, there are some books out there if you haven't got, uh, got them uh, so there should be one for every, every family or every person if you're a, an individual uh, in the church in that, in that way out there. Um, so prayer ministry at the front if you want to be prayed for. I see Sunday special K2 leaders are meeting here in the church tomorrow. Um, I see that's April the 1st uh, as well. Uh, International Cafe continuing. Uh, numbers are good. Uh, continue to pray. Um, relationships are strong. Uh, let's pray for all those involved in that and encourage people to come. We left in the Bible reading notes. Really, I think uh, if you were to have them for the 1st of April, uh, you would have had to order them. Uh, but we just want to encourage you to do, do so, and we'll take that announcement out. It is so important, as we've been hearing, that we read the Scriptures and the Bible reading notes are helpful to do that. Uh, next week is the annual general meeting of the church. Uh, as you know, we're going to move that to after the Sunday service. So immediately after that service, um, if, it, if we finish at 20 past 12, we'll start at 25 past, um, and we'll just uh, hold it for a, around half an hour. Uh, you have already got the reports. Uh, there are some printed copies out there, but anyone who uh, is, uh, their email should have received those. Do read them through, and if you have questions, uh, come and ask them. We have the moderator's appeal uh, thing here, Stuart. Um, yeah, just um, the moderator has, has launched an appeal um, for the Presbyterian Church uh, about the cyclone uh, ED, I think it is. Uh, next one. Um, there has been huge devastation. 2.6 million people, um, I think, displaced, uh, land covered, houses wrecked, infrastructure gone. 
Um, yeah, that's, you get some picture of it there. Uh, this church has looked after people in Malawi in the past. Malawi has been affected, and Malawi in itself is a particularly poor country. Um, and uh, this is obviously the story of someone there. Go ahead then, Stuart. Yeah, so, so we're, you get an opportunity. Yes, we've already released this 69,000 euros, and that goes to Tear Fund and Christian Aid. We split that automatically. That's already given uh, just from the general funds of the church, and really then what we're looking to do is to bring back uh, that money from the individuals uh, and from the congregations around the whole of Ireland. Um, I don't remember the figure, but we, we did support the folks in Indonesia, and I think that figure was like 339,000 that we actually raised. So it's a, there is a good heart within the church. And I know we've asked you before, and uh, I was unsure of whether we should do this again. But the moderator has asked for it. If you want to give to it, uh, put your donation in an envelope um, and just put them in the, uh, in, in the plates in the next couple of weeks. And that's the moderator's appeal. Uh, for Cyclone ED. Over the page, you'll see that we are saying farewell to Norman Sue. We'll do that later on. There is a potluck lunch in the manse, and anyone who's coming um, uh, is uh, encouraged to be there by a quarter to two. Uh, we hope to get started uh, soon around that time. And then there's two extra meetings there, one on science and the other on arts. And uh, yeah, it's just that the Christian life affects all aspects of life. And if you're free and interested, we would encourage you to go to those. So before we come to hear God's word, um, we're going to sing a song uh, called My L a Song is Love Unknown. It's written by Samuel Crossman in the 17th century. And I've been fascinated by these words all this week. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to singing it. So let's stand and think about the words and sing this lovely song together. Well, if you have um, your Bibles uh, with you and there are ones in the seats there, uh, let's open them at Isaiah chapter 52, 53. I think it's page 740. And uh, thank you to the young adults for reading. And uh, um, again, this is the book that we've been talking about, and I'm trying to follow it reasonably uh, closely. There are a few copies out there. Um, I hope you're reading it, um, and uh, this talk is based... Uh, on it. Uh, so we're going to look at what happened at the cross. So the symbol of the cross has become so common, hasn't it, that most people do not associate it with painful death, but simply as a symbol of Christianity. And yet it is a very curious logo, because the cross was an instrument of torture and death. Indeed, anyone who hung on a cross was considered a criminal, subject to public shame, and thought to be divinely cursed. Um, I have this in brackets, but we, I think, don't see that. We don't understand that. But if you had a pedophile, or if you knew of somebody close to you who was known to be a pedophile and convicted as such, the revulsion that the society feels towards that person and towards what they have done is the same revulsion that society would have had towards the cross. No one who wanted to start a movement that appealed to public consciousness would have chosen such a reviled symbol. Nobody. So why was it chosen? What captivated the early Christians about the cross that they adopted as its symbol of their faith? Literally, what happened at the cross? And, and as the young adults were uh, reading to us, I suppose what we were trying to do to you is to bring you to the very heart of this song, uh, this psalm, as Katie called it, uh, in verses 4 to 6. And the, the text that I have for us really is that last line of verse 6, which says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it's important, isn't it, that we understand what that means. Who is the him? Isaiah wrote about a servant who had to suffer, um, and the New Testament, of course, leaves us in no doubt that it was Jesus. Firstly, in Acts chapter 8, in the story of Philip and the Ethiopian official. You might remember that story, the Ethiopian's coming back from Jerusalem, he's reading the scriptures, 
And Philip is told by the Holy Spirit to go to him, and he finds him reading Isaiah 53. But the New Testament then explains it. This is Philip explained to him the good news about Jesus. So the early church and Philip believed that this was speaking about Jesus. So when the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, it laid it on Jesus. And secondly, Jesus himself, when speaking of this passage, identified himself as the one who would fulfill what was prophesied. He did that in Luke chapter 22 and verse 37, because when he reads this passage, or part of it is read, he says, this must be fulfilled in me. So Jesus saw himself as the suffering servant. So the person identified by Isaiah as the suffering servant on whom the Lord lays the iniquity of us all is Jesus Christ. And the fact that this was written 700 years before Jesus came is absolutely remarkable. And I hope that we can see today that in its fulfillment uh, is fully completed in the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, so that no one can, can deny it. So what did happen at the cross Let's look at firstly at the first point that Jesus suffered. On reading the, chap uh, the chapter of the book, Why Did Jesus Have to Die? I was particularly struck by the idea that Jesus was not a man of success. I suppose I just want to leave you with these pictures. And he pictured Richard Branson, a virgin, uh, and I have virgin media, so uh, that's who pr provides my broadband. And that's what struck me. So he's a man of success, isn't he? Virgin Airways, Virgin Media, Virgin TV. He's a multimillionaire. He turned up recently in Venezuela, uh, organizing concerts, and, and the world and governments were listening to him. And he is a man of success. But when you read verse 3 here, Jesus was not a man of success. That contrast struck me. He is a man of sorrows. And there's something poignant about it, isn't there? And it has to do, of course, with the cross. And whenever you look at what happened in his life, I think we sometimes forget that. And I just quickly wanted to go through this. That's why it's important you have your Bibles. It we're told in verse 2 that he was like a root out of dry ground. The commentators, and I believe this speaks about his upbringing, in a backwater that was Nazareth. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He was not a poster boy. I've often struggled to think about this because every kind of portrayal of Jesus in the media is of some strong and handsome man. That's not what the Bible said about him. He wasn't good looking. He wasn't physically attractive. And actually on appearance, there was nothing that made him desirable. I wonder what he looked like. And verse 3, he was despised. By everyone, he was killed in a brutal way, in a terrible way. And that's why I put the Passion of Christ picture there. Not because it does justice to the real suffering of Jesus, but it is very good as a portrayal of the physical suffering of Jesus. Directed by Mill Gibson, as you will. What was it given? It was given an 18 rating because it was so brutal and violent and probably correct. And we've already said that the disgrace of this cross was similar to being labeled a terrible social disgrace. I just, again, just thought about these words. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Folks, Jesus suffered. He suffered in his upbringing. His father died. He suffered in so many ways, living in a small backwater. He suffered, of course, from his closest friends. He suffered on the cross. And the reason is, why? what is the purpose of that suffering? What does that mean for us? And that's why it's good to stop and reflect. And the reality is that Jesus suffered because he can relate to us. He knows and experiences everything we face in life. I've often stopped to think, does he understand the pains that I go through? Does he understand the issues that I have? And every time I come up with the idea, yes, he does, and much more so. He was human and suffered more than we ever will. He understands us. He identifies with us. And the Bible tells us that's so that he, we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every negative experience you have had 
Jesus knows. He identifies with us, and he willingly did so because his suffering was purposeful. And secondly, he can rescue us. And that's why we need this next point, that the cross, Jesus is our substitute. Folks, we all know what a substitute is. Uh, I could uh, go to Oli Gunnar Sutscher, I suppose, as the archetypal reality of that. Um, but look at verse, verses 4 through to 12 here. And I quickly just go through that. I've written nothing down here. Just want to look at this. Surely he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. If we skip to 6, just doing the even verses. As I've already said, the end of verse 6, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Skipping up to verse 8, uh, what does it say? Yes, the last line again. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. And then going to verse 10, um, the Lord's will to crush him uh, through the Lord's make his life a guilt offering. And in 12, just that very last line again, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressions. So in this whole passage, it is just infused with the idea of substitution. And when you read the book, if you haven't already done so, uh, Marcus Nodder in that book called, asks us to insert, and I did that this week as well, putting my instead of or. And I actually said Sam. He took up Sam's infirmities. He carried Sam's sorrows. The Lord laid on him Sam's iniquity. It's very powerful, isn't it? Because he was thinking of you, as the mothers do of their children. And the Old Testament, of course, is full of the ideas of substitution. If we had time, we could look at this. The Passover lamb in Exodus, the scapegoat in Leviticus. In fact, the whole concept of animal sacrifice in the Old Testament the Old Testament clearly uses substitution as the means of God's dealing with human sin. And yet the Bible is very clear and unambiguous that such animal substitution is never effective in taking sin away. Hebrews 10:4, it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what the substitutionary sacrifices in the Old Testament did was that they were a picture and faith in them promised hope that one day God would send a savior. And that's who Isaiah was talking about. And that person is the suffering servant. And that person is Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born as a human being. And because of that, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, if you recall what we said last week in Isaiah 6, again, I just thought that was incredible. Just the holiness of God, the sinfulness of human beings, and yet the vision of the seraph taking the coal from the altar to Isaiah, touching his lips, and therefore the, the, the declaration, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. It was the grace of God to provide for us a substitute, someone to take our iniquity, someone to take our punishment, as we see in verse 5. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And it was interesting, wasn't it? I think it was Martha was speaking about peace for Ethan, and ultimately that peace is the peace of Christ, isn't it? It's a peace in relationships. It's God has taken the suffering, our sin upon himself so that we can have peace with him and peace with each other. Therefore, we can be pardoned and brought into relationship with God, which is the true meaning of peace in the Bible. This happened to Jesus on the cross, and we are told that it was the Lord's doing. Now, you will read in the book, of course, that um, some people find this difficult and perhaps the saddest and most difficult part of the gospel story, and not surprisingly, is, is surprisingly not the violence of the cross, but that the father punished his son. And the peace of the father and the son uh, had from eternity was broken. And for Jesus, it was a loss of relationship with his father that was most difficult for him. As we've just been singing, and these words really resonated with me this week, never was grief like thine. And for many, it's very difficult truth to accept. It appears to be the antithesis of fatherly love and of the God we believe in. And as you read in the book, some have even dared to call it a form of cosmic child abuse. But folks, what they fail to understand is the very nature of the Trinity. 
And the fact that from eternity, God the Father and God the Son agreed to the plan so that Jesus is a willing participant both as God and man and in the only plan that showed both proper justice and infinite love. And you get glimpses of that, don't you, in this passage in verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as sheep before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He went willingly and he went silently. And yet we must never see that this was easy because the reality of Gethsemane as a counter to any notion of his easiness is how we need to hold this in check. It was not uh, Jesus' willing substitution. Uh, Jesus' willing substitution for his sin was in reality a momentously profound decision in the life of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The reality that the Lord, the Father, has laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all, is breathtaking and should cause us to rejoice and to submit to such love. So Jesus suffered for us. He was our substitute. And lastly, he brings success. Again, I've been trying to think the how difficult it must have been for the disciples, those men and women who believed in him and followed him. Their Lord was dead. Their Lord was cursed. Their Lord was a public figure of shame. No wonder they were shocked and devastated and at hiding. And it seems pointless, doesn't it? A really sad end to a very good man. And was that the end? If they were able to think about the purpose of his death at all, which I don't think they were able to do in the early days, they were no doubt asking, did it work? Are our sins atoned for? Did God accept his, this guilt offering? And however we hear from Isaiah that this, we get glimpses of it here, don't we, that the death is not the end. And it would have been so hard for his original hearers to understand this. If you look in verses uh, uh, 52, 13, it's amazing, isn't it? See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. I suppose that could just be talking about the cross, but I checked it up with Alec Mateer, and he seems to say it surely speaks of his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And if that isn't enough for you, if you look in chapter 53 in verse 10 and through to verse 12, You'll see that in these, uh, we're told that the suffering servant dies, but he will still see his offspring, and he will, the Lord will prolong his days even though he's been killed. And after suffering, which we know to be death, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And then in verse 12, we get this whole idea of triumph over death. And as the wages of sin is death, so his triumph means sin and death are now defeated. And that's why verse 12 is an amazing picture, isn't it, really, of, of someone who wins the battle and everybody who is with him. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressor. transgressor. So you get the sense that we're on the winning side. The strong are those who side it with them, those who are his people. So again, Jesus is our substitute. He represents us, but he had victory because he actually rose again from the dead. His success is our success. And lastly, I think, I think there is another slide. We are called to believe this. Isn't it just incredible? I, I always, I suppose, just think about this, that Isaiah wrote this 700 years before it happened. And it's so true to the reality of what we read in the New Testament. Both in terms of his death, the reason for his death, and wonderfully his resurrection and exaltation to glory. And I simply say to you today that if you hear this and God has opened your eyes and he has moved in your heart, then in Isaiah 53 and verse 1, who has believed our message? I pray that we will believe this message. 
And that's what happened to the Ethiopian official, wasn't it? Whenever Philip explained to him, he believed it. His sins were forgiven, and he was baptized there and then and brought into the family of God. And the question for each of us, if you look at the very last line of chapter 53, for he bore the sin of many. Jesus paid for our sin, but has he paid for yours? Have you believed it? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you have, he suffered for you. He was your substitute. And his resurrection proves the success of his mission. Your guilt is gone. Your sin is atoned for. And what joy that brings when we understand it and experience it for ourselves. Never was love dear keen. Never was grief like then. This is my friend in whose sweet praise I all my days could gladly spend. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you for the words that Isaiah penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that they have been such a help to believers throughout um, the generations, that they were the means of salvation of the Ethiopian official, and that, Father, that they have brought many to see clearly the death, the purpose of the death, and the, the truth of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we will be moved in our hearts to see the extent of his suffering, but to see, Father, that the reality behind that was that he was our substitute and that what he suffered was for us so that we could go free. And Father, I pray that the truth of this will grip our hearts and that we will be able to live in the light of it successfully in Christ. And I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, let's worship him as we give our offering to him just now. Great. Okay, I'm going to ask Norman Sue to come up to the front now um, as we just say farewell to you. Uh, time flies, I suppose, is what I'd want to say. Um, and it's amazing to me that uh, Norman Sue have been with us uh, for three years, and that they have been worshipping here at this time. Uh, I want to personally thank them for their encouragement to me as an individual, um, and also to the church, their hospitality, uh, their generosity, uh, their meals, um, uh, their ministry as well. They've been doing things called Love Actually for Couples, uh, ambassador's ministry. I have met the Mexican ambassador and had chats with him and many other ambassadors. We've been at the Art of Marriage course. We've been at businessmen's breakfasts in the RDS. And uh, that's been a great place to go and uh, to do those kind of things. Uh, we've got to know them in, their, in the home group, and they have been faithful members of Adelaide Road. And so we want to say thank you to them for coming and for ministering in Ireland, and uh, for all the work that they've done with Agape Ministries here in Ireland. And I, I want to give you a small gift, which I've just covered. We, we do tend to give everybody a cross-stitch, uh, so it says, I love Ireland. I hope you do. Yes, we do. And, uh, there you go. You can have a look at that. Um, so maybe you would want to respond with a few words, and then I'll pray um, for, for you in that way. There you go, dear. Thank you, Sam. Dr. Sam, I like to call him. It's great to be here. These are sad moments for us to, to say farewell. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Anyway, um, as we say goodbye here, uh, there's people in Florida who are saying, hello, welcome. So we look at that. It's been a joy to be part of Adelaide Road. Um, it was Roisin Clark who introduced us to this great church. And um, it's been a joy to meet most of you. 
I wish we had more time to, to get to know every one of you. But there was a special group of people that we spent the, maybe the last five or six weeks with, and that's the Art of Marriage group from Marcelo and Claudia over here. These are your fine parents. You did a good job in this guy. <laughs> you can translate that to them. And then Ray Clark and Carol, thank you very much. I don't know if Spear, yeah, Ray and Carol Spear, Ezekiel and Anna, uh, Ian and Carol, and pa pa Paulo, yes. He was expecting a, his wife to deliver a baby, and he came to the meetings anyway. How to love your wife. That's amazing. So uh, Sam asked me yesterday, we were with him. Where did we go, Sam? To Clon McNoise. How many have ever seen that place? It's an amazing place. You need to go there. Well, in the car, he says, um, will somebody replace you? And I said, well, I don't think that's the way it works with us. Nobody's going to replace you and me. But we've, we've left our mark here. And, you know, according to 2 Timothy 2, 2, we are to, the things that you've seen in me and observed in me, you're to teach faithful men who will be able to teach others. So this is the discipleship concept. There are men and women in this city, in this church, across through Castle Bar, Galway, that we have had ministry with, that we've imparted blessing, and so they can continue the work. We don't need to be here now. They have it. And so, but we are going to return in the fall. Uh, the visas expired here normally for the three-year as a missionary, but we're going to come back on visitor visas and spend four to six to eight weeks here. So we're going to slip in the back door and come and visit you all again. Um, I just want to leave this verse with you. It's one of my favorite verses, Romans 15, 13. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope from the power of the Holy Spirit. So you hate to have the last word. We do want to thank you. You've all been very gracious. I remember there, those first evening meetings or getting together here at the church, and we felt so welcomed all the time. I think you underestimate how friendly and loving you are. So just use it more and more. We've had a great time, and I, I really do want to say a special thank you to a very sweet couple, George and Verna. They have been so kind to us. We've had many times of gadding about and seeing some of the country because we don't have a car, and so we got out of the city. Uh, there is more to Ireland than just the Marion Road. And so it was just, we've had a wonderful time. George, thank you so much for your house church and just for your fellowship. That's what it's about, especially when you don't live in a country and you're, you're new. You just need to be loved and shown around, and the church has been that way, and Sam and Karen have been very gracious and loving to us. I mean, as we look around at all of you, you've all been special in a very wonderful way. We do love you. We, this is our fifth country that we have lived in over the years, and there's all those wonderful new times of coming, and you're terrified, and, but the going away is so hard because you've gotten to know people, and it feels like home. And maybe the Lord is calling you to be somewhere as a missionary. Don't be afraid of that. He might take you in places like this, and you get to meet all kinds of people. Thank you for loving and taking care of us. Thank you. And if you're ever in Orlando, look us up. We'll introduce you to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and you're all welcome. Don't all come at the same time. <laughs> but thank you very much. God bless. That is great. Well, just let me take a moment then to pray uh, for Norman Sue. And uh, Father, there is nothing sweeter than Christian fellowship. And Father, it's amazing how you bring people from all over the world of different ages and stages and even different beliefs to us, and yet you mold us into your family. And we do want to say thank you for Norman Sue and for their ministry for their friendship, and for their deep love of you. And we pray that you will be with them as they go to Orlando, that you will again help them to settle into that place, and that, Father, that you will just give them uh, more of yourself, and that, Father, that you will bless them there. And we do look forward to seeing them back again. We pray for an ongoing blessing on the ministries that they began, and for the people that they impacted, that they too would carry on as T Timothy is instructed by Paul to do. 
So, Father, we pray for them. We pray for the folks in Church and Chains today. We remember Musi Izaz today, particularly, who has been arrested and in prison since 2008. We pray for uh, Fruani, his wife, and three sons. Father, we pray that the government would stop imprisoning Christians in Eritrea. We pray that the gospel would gain a foothold in the hearts of many people in Eritrea. We pray that you will sustain the faith of this man and that you will keep him strong. And we remember Leah in Nigeria, Abraham in Indonesia, and Kim Gukji in North Korea, who we already prayed for. Father, we pray that you will be with us as we face the uncertainties of Brexit and that you will give great insight and wisdom to those who have to make important decisions. And Father, we pray for those who are vulnerable in our congregation, and we remember particularly Annie. We thank you that this week you have answered her prayers in terms of uh, where she's placed within the hospital system, that she has been able to see her consultant, and that she is feeling well. And Father, that is a huge turnaround from the beginning of the week. So we continue to pray for her. And Father, we remember um, all uh, who uh, come to mind. Uh, Father, we pray for those who are sick, and we ask that you would be with them. So Father, we pray these things uh, to our friend and our Savior and our Lord and uh, our great God. Uh, in his name we pray. Amen. Well, folks, we're going to finish our service by singing And Can It Be. So let's stand to sing. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Please be seated. Well, boys and girls, I, I think the boys and girls have been working really hard and that they have a little, they have a flower to give. Uh, to the ladies in the congregation and the mothers, of course, as well. So come on in. <laughs> 